Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. As I was coming from Florida, I wasn't quite sure how to dress. It's still very hot down in Florida. I heard it's going to be in the 60s here, which is kind of our winter down there. And so this is my winter coat and uh, glad to have a little taste of winter here in North Carolina. I invite you today to open the Word of God to the book of Jude. We're going to be focusing upon the first three verses of Jude, Jude verses 1 through 3. And I just want to say a special word of thanks to Dr. Aiken for the privilege of being here today. And I'm so grateful for all that he does uh, for the kingdom and certainly his, his, his wonderful leadership here at Southeastern Seminary. If you're able, I would ask you to stand in honor of God's word, the book of Jude, beginning with verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessings upon your word today. May we hear what the Spirit is saying into our lives through your inspired word. May we respond in obedience and faithfulness to your call upon our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. The challenge of this scripture is to contend. An anchor word that literally drives the entire book of Jude. To contend earnestly. To contend passionately for the faith. Our generation of which we are called... We are called to stand up and to speak up for the faith. We're not the first, nor will be the last, if our Lord tarries in his return, to be those who will contend. And we join generations of brothers and sisters in Christ who in days past have contended and engaged the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to be very clear. We need to be very forthright. We are in a battle. We're in a battle for the faith. We're in a battle for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in a battle for the truth. We're in a battle for the eternal souls of boys and girls and men and women. And the church, the people of God, are under attack and we cannot retreat. We cannot back out. We cannot tap out. We cannot give up. We cannot be silent. We must contend. And contending for the faith oftentimes comes in moments of which you are caught unaware. A Sunday morning, at, while I was serving as pastor at First Baptist Brandon, we had three Sunday morning services. And in between those services, a deacon came to me and said, Pastor, very urgently, you need to come with me. Now, typically, when a deacon would come and find you between services, there were one or two things that had happened. There's been some kind of medical emergency, and they want you to go and to be there with family or with individuals in the midst of this emergency, or the toilets are overflowing, and they think, as pastor, you have the ability to lay hands on them and somehow heal that particular situation. But he walked me outside the buildings, and we walked outside. What I saw was something that I was not prepared for. For our campus covered about 20, 25 
acres, and there were sidewalks that, that encompassed the sanctuary and some of our buildings that were lined by roads. And there were people who were standing on these sidewalks holding signs and protesting the church. Now, I would imagine that in all of your seminary training, you probably have not had a class on what to do on Sunday morning when you have protesters show up at your church. It's just not something that we see. It's not something we even anticipate in terms of our ministry. But we were in the midst of a battle within our community. We were contending for the faith. There was an adult entertainment business that wanted to open in Brandon, Florida. In Brandon, Florida, there's a main thoroughfare, Highway 60, that goes through our little, our little town. And then there's a intersection of Mount Carmel and there at that intersection they were going to purchase a piece of property on that corner and open an adult entertainment venue. On the opposite side of that intersection was a Chick-fil-A a Home Depot, and a Lowe's. You're talking about kind of a clash of, of culture, and there it was. And so we had joined with other churches in our community, and we were taking a stand against this. We were leveraging everything that we need to leverage legally, everything we need to do politically. We were fighting a battle, trying to pray through this and keep this venue from opening. And so on this day, all of those who were in favor of it showed up at our church. There were men dressed like women. There were women dressed like men. There were women who who were barely dressed, who were there. There were those who were in charge of adult entertainment, an individual by the name of Joe Redner, who is the, the kingpin of adult entertainment in Florida, a multi-gazillionaire. He's standing on our sidewalks, holding signs, shouting at people as they were making their way toward the sanctuary. So what do you do in those moments? Well, we realize that our battle was not against those people. Jesus Christ loved them as much as he loves us. He died for their sins as much as he died for our sins. And it was our opportunity to love them and to point them unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Baptists do like to eat. And so they were taking food out to them and water out to them and loving on them week after week as they would show up protesting against the church. Dear sweet ladies that had to park in, in parking lots away from the sidewalks would walk by those ladies who were on the, on the sidewalks around the church. They would hug them and they would say, oh, we're so glad you're here today. We hope you come back next Sunday. And I'm kind of like, well, maybe, maybe not. Not quite sure about that. And so what I would say to you is this. We lost the battle, but we did not lose the war because the business indeed did open. And then over the next few months, I would have families, parents that would walk up to me at church, as were other pastors in our community. This is what they were telling us. As they would pull up to that intersection, the children from the back seats of SUVs and minivans and cars were looking over and seeing the signage on this building that was quite different than the signage of a Chick-fil-A or a Home Depot or a Lowe's at that intersection. And they were asking their parents, what is this and, and what takes place here? And parents were being very truthful to their children. They said it's a place where women are, are demeaned and women are devalued. They, they taught them about human sex trafficking that was taking place there. And from the back seats of these vehicles, children began to pray. They began to pray for the ladies that were in this business working. And what I would say to you is this. Within less than one year, that business shut down. Because of the prayers of those children crying out to God for those ladies and those individuals who are impacted by this business. You see, you never know what your battle might be. 
But the scripture clearly teaches that we are in a battle. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have life more abundantly. In Ephesians, Paul writes to put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. James writes, therefore submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. And in 1 John 4, we find that great encouragement. You are of God, little children. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the the world. But in this battle, we realize that it is real. Evil has a face, and evil has a taste, and evil has a place. And we encounter that every day. And we as God's people are called to contend. And so I want us to examine this admonition from Jude to contend. Because as we walk through these three verses, we're able to see from the perspective of this biblical writer who was contending for the faith earnestly and passionately, what is required of me and what is required of you if we are to contend earnestly for the faith. What we see immediately is if we are to contend, we must come with the understanding, I must decrease. Would you say that out loud? I must decrease. Now, that sounds somewhat counterintuitive. I mean, if we're going to contend, you think we need to be working out. <laughs> if we're going to contend, we need to be bolder. We need to be stronger. We need to, we need to amp up everything that we are. And in, and in the abilities that we have, we've got we to we dig in our heels, and we've got to be firm, and we've got to hold fast. But, but yet the Scripture is saying that if we're going to contend, I must decrease. Now we see that in how Jude identifies himself. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The identity of Jude reveals volumes about his life and about his faith. It is the word doulos that is translated as servant. He submitted to authority. He surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a very relevant and understandable term from the culture at the time of the writing. They knew what it meant to be a, a servant. They knew what it meant to be a, a bondservant. They understood what it meant to be a slave. And, and in this way, they took this word out of the ugliness of the context, that culture, and they brought it into the Christian faith and baptized it into an understanding of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I readily, fully, totally acquiesce everything of my life unto the Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. I must decrease. So the focus of Jude's life shifted when he became a believer. And we're able to discern this truth through the very next phrase of verse 1. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, but I'm a brother of James. Now we're kind of tracking here. Who is this family? You see, James was a leader in contending for the faith in Jerusalem. We read of his life from A.D. 44 to his death by martyrdom in A.D. 61. He is one who, who stood passionately and firmly for the faith. And Jude says, I am a brother of James. So who is this family? Well, if we look in the scriptures, we find the answer to that. You recall when Jesus went to Nazareth and, and the Bible says he did not many mighty works there because of the unbelief of the people. And part of that unbelief was due to the familiarity that they had with his family and who, who he was. And we read in Matthew chapter 13, they say, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude? You see, James and Jude are brothers of Jesus. But yet as Jude identifies himself, he says, I'm a brother of James, but I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. 
I must decrease. From identity as a brother to identify as a servant. Jude fully embraced the divinity and humanity of Jesus. Jude totally trusted the incarnation of Christ our Lord. Jude completely acknowledged the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jude absolutely accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Now, if we were in this moment, I'm not so sure that maybe we would write the same thing. I mean, we might want to have the temptation to leverage that relationship. I mean, we're in conversation. We're hanging out in the cafeteria. Uh, by the way, I am the brother of Jesus. I mean, I mean, we probably would use that to every advantage that we could to leverage our influence, to leverage the networks that we have. But yet when you look at Jude, he did not tout that he was a brother of Jesus. He did not demand or claim any level of entitlement. He did not pursue star status. He did not pursue power, prominence, position, or prestige because of a family connection. The relationship that he had with Jesus Christ did not increase his father followers on social media but he humbly declared i am a servant of jesus christ you see the focus of his life decreased to the glory of the lord jesus christ and jude lived his life contending passionately and earnestly for the faith we read of his life that he as well was martyred in ad 65 preaching and living for Christ and declaring the good news of the gospel. So I must decrease. If I'm going to contend, if I'm going to battle, if I'm going to engage, if I'm going to be a faithful follower of Christ, I must decrease. But then we move forward in this text, for the next phrase teaches us that he must increase. If I decrease, I decrease that he might increase within my life. And he uses two couplets here within the verse to help us see that. He says that we are called, sanctified, and preserved. And then he speaks of mercy and peace and love. I mean, just those things in themselves are, are full of exposition for, uh, of a sermon that could be based on any of these. But yet, in the, in the teaching today, we want to recognize that faith that is increased in Christ is always blessed and anointed by the Lord. We are called of him. He first loved us. And by his spirit, he calls us unto himself. You are here today because he called you unto his glorious salvation. You are here today because he called you unto the glory of his ministry to live your life unto the Lord Jesus Christ fully surrendered, fully submitted in every way of your life. The calling that he has, he knows your name, he knows your need, he doesn't forget you, he doesn't forfeit you, he doesn't forsake you. He is the one who first loved you and he calls you by his wonderful mercy, love, and grace. And by his blood we are redeemed unto him, sanctified, Increasing in our love and our devotion to him. Sanctification is the abandonment of our life to Christ. It is loving Jesus with all of your heart and soul and mind and body and strength. It is increasing in your life through faith and holiness and purity and righteousness. Sanctification is growing and maturing in Christ. It is discipline. It is discipleship. It is accountability. And so we are called and we are sanctified and we are increasing Christ in that process. And then he says, oh, by the way, you're preserved. <laughs> I mean, really? 
Lord, it's not enough that you've called us and sanctified us, but, but we are kept. He keeps watch over us. He guards over us. He, he holds us fast. Our salvation is sealed and secure in Christ. First Peter writes of that. He says it's an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, that is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So, so as he increases, we understand salvation we understand sanctification. We understand glorification. And so our desire is that our faith would increase in Christ and that, that the power and the presence of Christ would increase on our lives daily. As I decrease, he will increase. And then Jude adds the amazing blessings and benefits of our salvation. He says he multiplies, multiplies, I mean, exponentially multiplies, like standing in front of a waterfall, just, just pouring out upon our life as if everything that he has given us is not enough. He says, I will multiply mercy. I will multiply peace. I will multiply love over your life. So as your faith increases in God, God multiplies his plan. God multiplies his purpose over your life. You know, what today of your time and your talent, your treasure, are you increasing by faith to Christ? You cannot live a victorious Christian life. You will not have an impactful ministry without abandoning your life to Christ. And this requires intentionality and strategic obedience and commitment unto him. I must decrease. He must increase. We need to hear as the Lord speaks these things into our life. It was a Sunday night service, and, uh, you know, on Sunday nights, it's a little bit easier to figure out who's there and is on Sunday morning. I don't know about where you preach, but typically it's a little bit smaller group. Um, I hope you, you're, you're not the norm of that. And, and so uh, there was a young man who came into the service. He sat under the balcony as far as he could in the back just to try to be anonymous, obviously, and uh, went through the service, finished at the invitation. He, he, he stayed. He was very attentive. And then when the service ended, I could tell that he, he, he wanted to, to come and talk to me. But, you know, sometimes people just they feel awkward. They don't know, can I approach the pastor or not, approach the pastor for whatever reason. We kind of put off that aloofness at times. And so, so I, I just made my way back to him, and I said, hey my name's Tommy and he introduced himself to me and, and this was his story he said my life is in a mess he said he said if you just look at a, at a downward fall of life he said I'm in it he was about 25 20 26 years old he said I failed everyone in my life he said my parents did everything they could do to help me they paid my way to college and I just squandered it all he said, I've wasted everything that's been handed to me. He said, I've been in, in terrible relationships. I've treated people wrongly. He said, I've been involved with drugs, been involved with alcohol. I mean, he, he just down the list. I mean, just, just pouring his heart out just like that in front of me. He said, I was driving down Parsons Avenue. That's a road that, that, that bordered uh, our church. And he says, I was driving down through there. He said, I, I saw these people getting out and walking toward this building. And, and he, said, he said, it was almost, he said, it's, it's like an audible voice just said, stop. He said, it scared me so much. He said, before I knew it, I was in this parking lot and walking in behind people. He said, quite honestly, I wasn't even sure where I was. <laughs> he said, then I got in, and he said, everything that happened here tonight, he said, I know why God brought me here. He said, I need, I need what's been talked about in this room tonight. I need something different in my life, and I know that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we knelt down. We prayed, and this young man uh, just poured out his heart to the Lord. 
I mean, so genuine, so just, just, just speaking honestly, repentant. He, he, he was calling out his sins. He, he, he was trusting Christ, and by faith, he called upon his name. I mean, just a glorious moment. I mean, service had ended long ago, and when we, when we finished it praying there at the altar, we opened our eyes, and the altar was just covered with people. I mean, folks in the parking lot in Dally, they were talking, started coming back in, and people were just kneeling down and praying all across the front of the room for the salvation of this young man, and he came to know Jesus as his Savior. I mean, it was just a beautiful, you know, beautiful expression of God's goodness through Christ Jesus the Lord over this young man's life. And, 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 and he, he, he shows such amazing transformation in his salvation. One of our pastors was discipling him, and he was growing, and he played a guitar, so he, he got involved with the music team of the church. And, I mean, it was just, you know, he became everybody's grandson. I mean, you know, everybody, they just adopted him. I mean, everybody knew his story, and they, they were just loving on him in just amazing ways. And it was just one of those things, you know, as a church, you just go, man, this is awesome. This is what it's all about. About right here. So the young man, about six months after this night, went home to visit with his parents who lived in another state. And uh, he was there for a few days and he went out to a park. And at this park, they had a, uh, there was a, a ravine uh, in, the, in the center of the park. And there were these rock ledges, I guess, that people could look over on and down into the ravine. And so apparently he got there, he had his guitar, he may have sat down. They don't really know exactly what happened. He was playing his guitar and this rock ledge just gave, this rock gave way down into the ravine. And he fell some 40 to 50 feet down that ravine on the rocks below and was instantly killed. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it was just like someone who just punched us in the gut. I mean, you know, it's like, no. I mean, you, you, just, you just grieved, I mean, you know, to see what, what, what was going on in this young man's life and then for this, this to have happened to him. So we ministered to the family out of state as best we could. You know, we, we shared with them, helped them with some different things and helped them through the funeral and so forth. And then, you know, life just kind of moves on no matter what the event, what the tragedy, things go forward. And, and so I was preaching on a Sunday morning and, and um, there was a lady who, who was seated about five rows back on the end of, 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 the, of, the, uh, of the row. And I looked at her, and I'm like, I know who that lady is. I've seen her before, but I, I couldn't think of who she was, you know. And if you've ever been there, you, you know, your Google files start running through your head. You're trying to put a name with it, and you can't. And finally, I'm just like, I've got to quit doing this. I've got to preach, you know. And so I so, uh, finished the message in the invitation time. She came walking forward. And when she got in front of me, I realized who it was. It was the mother of this young man. And when she got to me, she took my hands, and, and, and she said, Pastor, she said, I, I, I just want to thank the Lord for this church and for the fact that God brought my son here that night and that the gospel was preached and that he came to know Jesus as his Savior. She said, could you go to that place at the altar where my son knelt and prayed and, and, and pray with me? Oh, my goodness. I mean, my legs were just like, you know, jelly. I, I couldn't even speak, much less hardly walk. So we walked over there, and we knelt down, and she just began praying, and and, and her prayer was just so beautiful. I mean, she, she said, you know, Lord, I'm not, I'm not angry at you. I, I'm, not, I'm not mad. I mean, I, 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 I grieve. I, I, I hurt. I, I don't have the words to express, you know, the fact that my son is, is, is dead. She said, but, but, but I want to thank you because I know that you brought salvation to my son. And that today my son is with you in heaven. And that one day I'll see him again. And it was just such a strong reminder of how we must decrease. And as Christ increases in our life, 
He sees what we cannot see. He knows what we do not know. He's gone where we have not yet been. And as we yield our life to him, through his increase in our life, he uses our life to his ultimate glory. So I must decrease. He must increase. But then the third part of this that I want us to see in how we contend for the faith is we must release. Would you say that out loud? We must release. I mean, I love this about your seminary, the I am going. I mean, I mean that you're releasing. What you're saying is we have a mission. We have, we have an obedience to the Lord that is greater than anything else of our life, anything else of, of the surroundings around us. And what the Lord says do, we must do. We must go. And so in verse 3, he says, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Now, he's not saying that salvation is common. Not by any means. He's not saying that, that it's, just, it's just commonplace. He's saying there's only one way that all of us have been saved, and it's through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ the Lord. But he says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, urging you, firing you up to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, we're in a fight, and Jude understood that. We need Christ only. We need Christ alone. Christ is sufficient for everything, yet Christ has called his church. And the church, the body of Christ, need each other. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we are part of the body of Christ and we need one another in Christ. And the calling that we have as a church is to release everything of our lives to contend earnestly for the faith. And kingdom ministry in our world today is much different than kingdom ministry in the world that our parents had and that our grandparents had. The world was the same, but yet the concepts of ministry were very different. If churches are going to make a difference in the world today, if you're going to make a difference in the world today, in kingdom ministry, you must understand that kingdom ministry is multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multilingual, and multi Locational. We cannot be in silos among those homogeneous groups anymore and contend earnestly for the faith. We've got to reach our cities. We've got to reach our communities. We've got to reach the nation and the nations with the gospel. And if you look around, you will see that the nations have a tremendous diversity and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must release everything that we have earnestly and passionately in the midst of this battle. Now, he says to contend. That word is a very interesting word. It means to fight. It means to struggle. It's not about, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, we, we, we were in Sunday school or a small group, and we had a little, you know, dissension about how to interpret that text. That's not what this word is, okay? This is an understanding that you are going to be in a battle when you say that Jesus Christ is Lord. You automatically put yourself in a position that is diametrically opposed to everything that is found in the world around you. And in the midst of that word contend in the Greek language is the word, 
word hagon, which is the word for stadium. I mean, isn't that a powerful understanding, contend, and stadium? It gives the idea that we're in the arena and we're on the floor of the arena. Unfortunately, most of the church is not on the floor of the arena in the fight and the struggle. They're sitting up in the stands and they're criticizing and they're doubting and they're questioning and they're second-guessing and they're saying, we've never done it that way before and we can't do it this way now. And we find that the church is up here while those who have an understanding of what God has called us to do, to say, I must decrease, he must increase, we must release. You're on the floor of the stadium, you're in the battle, and we need everybody in that battle to do what needs to be done for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must understand that we're to float like a butterfly, but there are times that we've got to sting like a bee. And we need those who are contenders and not pretenders. We must be contenders and not pretenders. For we are in a cultural war. We're in a worldview battle. We're in a societal struggle. Racism, social injustice, abortion, physical abuse, emotional abuse, spousal abuse, child abuse, financial abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, broken family life, a post-Christian culture, crime, poverty, radical beliefs, terrorism, fear, uncertainty, traditionalism, intolerance, immorality, homelessness, religious liberty issues, sexual identity issues, ungodly agendas, moral relativism, prejudice, violence, human sex trafficking, bigotry, addictions, lying, bondage, cheating, stealing, anger, hatred, greed, pornography, bitterness, envy, secret sins, presumptuous sins, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the weak and the wounded, the beaten and the berated, the forgotten and the forsaken, the isolated and the abandoned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And these are the daily realities of a broken world that we are called to minister to. And then we would say, well, all I really want to do is just preach. That's what this is about? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is what it is about. We must contend. We must contend. If you could put those pictures up for a moment, I would appreciate it. Just the first one. This church uh, is the First Baptist Church of Port St. Joe. Uh, you saw Hurricane Michael come on shore just a few weeks ago. And... Um, did unbelievable damage across uh, the panhandle of Florida from, from Panama City over to Port St. Joe, Mexico Beach in between. The eye of it came over around Tyndall Air Force Base, Mexico Beach. Just unprecedented damage. This is the church. Uh, this photograph was taken probably 30 minutes after the hurricane came through. First Baptist Port St. Joe, Pastor Boyd Evans is the pastor there. They preached a revival in that church last year. Just a, a, a church that's going through revitalization, turning around. Uh, Pastor Boyd told me the Sunday before the hurricane was the best Sunday they've ever had in the history of their church. They baptized 13 people on that day who had received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Man, he said, we were seeing things, just God moving and things happening within our church. And then Thursday came. This church is located about a block and a half off the Gulf of Mexico. You can see and kind of the, 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 toward the, the right of the, the photograph, uh, the lighthouse. That lighthouse is standing right on the Gulf itself. And, and, and as the storm came on, it just ravaged this, this building. I mean, it, it looks like a bomb went off in it. I mean, you can see the, the, toward the rear, the, uh, the, the roof's gone. I mean, you know, the, the building is, is, is destroyed. I mean, it, it will have to be leveled, it just totally pushed down. Matter of fact, take, uh, go to the next picture if you don't mind. Uh, this was uh, taken just a few days later, sun shining. <laughs> Everything's beautiful. Life's back to normal in most of the world, but uh, that's the inside of that, that church. Uh, 
looking out from the pulpit area into the heaven itself. And as I'll go around that region, we probably have 40 plus churches that have damage, maybe not quite that severe, but, but at many different levels. And these are young men, just like many of you and young ladies have been called to ministry, to churches, and now this is their new norm. This is, this is what they are dealing with. And, and what I've found in, in talking with pastors all over this region is this. They've lost their homes. One pastor that I met with just returned with the insurance agent from his home. And he said to his wife and to him, just get what you can out of this rubble, but never come back because it's condemned and we've got to push all this away. Just find anything you can find that you want to hold on to. Then he came to the church and it didn't look quite as bad as this, but it was close. And everything about his world has just been totally changed. But yet this pastor is standing outside and as people are driving up in the parking lot, they're handing them food and they're handing them water and they're giving them toiletries and they're giving diapers to their children. And pastor after pastor has said this statement to me. They point at those buildings and this is what they say. That is not the church. That's just a building. Now, those are important. We understand that. Oh, we, we fully understand that. They said, that's not the church. We're the church. And now we're going to find out. We're going to find out if we're willing to contend for the faith. For out of these places where rubble is found, we believe that God is going to raise up something very special across the panhandle of Florida. And that we're going to see the glory of the Lord rise out of the midst of the brokenness that is found in so many lives. You see, we never know, we never know what's going to take place where we're going to be proven faithful to contend for the faith, to contend passionately and earnestly for the faith. But this morning, we find a clear example from a man of scripture, a man of God, who said, contend. And, and, and the world they were contending in was much more caustic than the world that we're living in today. And he said, if you're going to contend, this is important. I must decrease. I must decrease. But I'm learning all this Greek and Hebrew. Doesn't that make me smarter? <laughs> I'm, 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 all of that's important, but all of that is to equip you that he must increase within your life. And you can increase and be as filled as you can be filled, but if you miss the last part, then it's not biblical. We must release. Because everything that God is increasing in your life is to prepare you for the battle and the battle is real and wherever God is going to call you whether it be to the ends of the earth or to the end of the street contend earnestly contend passionately for the faith that has been once and for all delivered to the saints
Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for your word. Thank you for such a powerful life that by his own humility and his own understanding would just say, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Could that not be the highest honor, the most worthy descriptive that we could have? And he's saying, Lord, I decrease in my life before you. And then he calls out unto the Lord and just saying, Lord, you, you have called us. You sanctify us. You preserve us. Your mercy, peace, and love, they flow over us. Lord, de- as I decrease, Lord, just increase over my life. Increase over my life. Lord, anything that's in my life today, anything that's in my heart today, anything, Lord, that does not honor you, Lord, may I just cast it before you. May I repent of that. Lord, may I, may I remove that through your shed blood from my life that I may see May I see, Lord, your glory increase throughout my life. And then, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do. I'm ready to be what you would have me to be. But I pray, Lord, that even while we are in seminary, that we don't forget that, that we are to do it now. This isn't just an interim time that we're waiting for the day when we get to do it. But, but today, we must release our lives and contend earnestly for the faith. So I pray over these students, Lord. I thank you for each of them. I thank you for your divine calling upon their life. And I pray that, that even what we have said today would just continue to just to stir within their heart. Your spirit would do what, it, what you desire for it to do, Lord, in, in each of our lives. And we'd be better equipped and more faithful, ready to serve you. Father, I thank you for Southeastern Seminary. I thank you for Dr. Aiken. I thank you for this incredible faculty you've assembled here. We pray, Lord, you'll continue to bless them as they equip those who are called. So, Lord, our prayer today, even as we sing these songs of commitment unto you, would be, I must decrease. Christ Jesus, you must increase. And, Lord, today, together, we commit our lives to release who we are unto your kingdom ministry. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.